and welcome back to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live video series. And with me today to share the stories behind the 10 books that had the most significant impact on his life is Consciousness Explorer and author of the Althal, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, it's a difficult one, Althal, Althal <laughs> the Crystal Dragon series of books, Joachim Wolfram. And I'll tell you a little bit about Joachim if you don't know of him already. He says that freedom is the guiding theme of his spiritual and post-spiritual life. How can one advance to the very core of freedom and then realize it in daily life? How can one experience and live consciousness beyond the human limitations? These are the questions that led him to an intense journey through the world of Zen and finally beyond. Apart from exploring consciousness, Joachim received a PhD in operations research and went on to found and manage a company for financial software. And after quitting regular business life in 2010, he took some time to investigate generative arts, the attempt to create beauty with most simple interactions such as drawn lines, humming or brain waves resulted in a series of popular apps. And since 2015, his main focus has been on writing, from which the Althar series, The Crystal Dragon, among others, emerged. So he is just written a sixth book, he tells me, and he also offers audio recordings and occasional workshops. And we'll find out more about that later. So Joachim Wolfram, welcome and thank you for joining us. Welcome for inviting me. Hello, Sandra. Hello, so, everybody. Everybody, yes. So <laughs> tell us, Joachim, um, what do books mean to you? Uh, your typical opening question, right? I heard it yesterday and I, I started reflecting, oh, what would I say to this question? And it's really not easy. No, uh, it's not. I, I would say a book, a book is a, a potential portal. A good book uh, is a portal into a different realm, a different dimension, a different story. Uh, so it's a real gem. And if the book is really good, it becomes a good friend. You want to have it close. You want to have it nearby. So books are very near and dear to me. And they are like, like bad friends. There are many bad books, which you open up. And where you end up is not where you ever wanted to go. You the best, you just throw it away, which I'm not good at. Mostly when I start reading a book, I read to the very end. For whatever reason, I'm, I'm not good in quitting a book in the middle. <laughs> So books are very important to me and have always been. So interesting, isn't it? I mean, I like what you said, you know, I, I don't read a book to the end if, I, if I'm not enjoying it. If I feel that whatever expectation I had is not being met, I'm out mm. of there. Uh, and I feel very disappointed. It's like being betrayed by a good friend. <laughs> but, uh, you know, good for you for keeping at it. Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago that even if, if a book is really not good, there might be this one sentence, a single sentence, and you dig a lot of mud and, and not to say shit or bullshit, <laughs> but then there's a small gem which you didn't expect, and I'm always hoping for this, and most often I find this one little sentence which, well, uh, enriches you. And even though the rest could be better, <laughs> this one sentence would have sufficed maybe. But that's why I keep on reading and uh, maybe also for honoring the authors. It takes a lot to write a book. So yes, they yeah. do. They should be honored. So what was it like for you having to compile your 10 best list? It was not, not so easy. 
because first I thought of it as finding really the 10 best books that I would suggest to, to anybody to read if, if he's on the, or she is on the spiritual path. But I realized that doesn't make any sense at all for uh, depending on where you are, you have this one most important book that fits in the moment. And uh, that's why I came up finally with a list of books that were important for me at certain points in my life. Like they were turning points, sometimes initiated by a book or, or accompanied by a book. And that's the way I have chosen the, the 10 books uh, of my list. I wouldn't say they are, they are the best, but they were the most important in my, uh, my uh, lifetime. And have you listed them in the chronology, yes, how yes. you read them and how yeah. the yeah, yeah. part of your journey? That's yeah. great because some people don't. And it's really nice to see the exploration. You and I were having some fun with pronunciation before everyone had joined <laughs> us. And I was saying that I hate it when I get all of these names on a list that I can't pronounce. I have to spend hours trying to, to find how to pronounce them. And there are so many different ones. And here we are with the first one, which is the wisdom of... Lao Tzu? Lao Tzu? I call him Lao Tzu. It's a German way. I'm, I'm not okay. sure how the original Chinese pronunciation is. Yeah. There are so many online, believe me. Um, <laughs> anyway, the, I'll say it, the wisdom of Lao Tzu by mm -hmm. Yutang Lin. Mm -hmm. So tell us about what was happening in your life at the time you read this book and why it made such a big impact on you. Uh, I think I was in my early 20s, if not to say just 20, and this was the first book from, from the Eastern Hemisphere. So the, the first book uh, was, was Eastern philosophy or spirituality, uh, and I picked it up, and there were not too many uh, available in the bookstores. I always went to bookstores and, and checked things out, and then I found that book, I took it, started reading, and I was immediately drawn into it. Like, what is the first sentence uh, in the, the Tao Te King? Like, um, the Tao that can be spoken about is not the real Tao. Yes, things like, like that get me. Eh? So you have a book, first sentence is, well, what I write about is, is nonsense anyway, but well, keep reading. Uh, and I liked it very much. And uh, when I read through that book, I felt like I'm a Taoist now, whatever that means, because it was just convincing. And uh, in that book also, it's not just the Tao Te King, which is quite short, but it's uh, not commented, but, but accompanied by short stories from, from Chuang Tzu, which is, was a Taoist of later days. And he had very, very funny stories explaining the concepts uh, with daily life uh, experiences. So, so at the end, I was totally convinced. And I realized half a year later, well, I feel like a Taoist, but now what? For nothing has changed within me. So uh, I said, well, what, what, what's, what's next? What can you do now with that for, there's no way, no, no practice uh, whatsoever uh, to, to uh, get used to this. Later on, I learned that there are many practices in Taoism, but at that point in time, there was no internet, so it was not that easy to find. So I was kind of stuck with Taoism. I liked it, but, but now what? I was, was a bit at a loss. And then came I the don't know much <laughs> about Taoism. Yeah. It, it always seems to me one of those things that you could go round and round in circles for a long, long time and disappear down a rabbit hole in, <laughs> in your mind. Um, give me an example of something that really within that book that made you know that made you sit up and take notice. The very first that sentence. First line. The very first sentence. You cannot talk about it and think about all the implications. It says that whatever you say only touches the truth. 
So from that follows, why run after all the details? Why fight for a certain philosophy or dogma or anything? In the end, whatever is important, you cannot express. Like you cannot exp explain love or you cannot explain the taste of an apple. That's obvious. Huh? But when it comes to, to, to wisdom, you might think, ah, there is in the formula, hidden knowledge, something like this. But the first sentence says it all, and we could stop all spiritual talk right there. Huh? There's not much to talk about, because whatever you say is false. Uh, it's not ultimately true. It might be a help on, on this on the, on the step to, to truth and to, to realization. So uh, I always talk about illuminating illusions with illusions. So find the helpful tools, find the right expressions, the right words, that the illusions are finally shed within you. But in the end, you have to let go of everything. And this is just written in this first first sentence, but it's just a, a statement that you can nod your head to, yes, right? But now what? For you are in a human body, you are in a human consciousness, you are conditioned, socialized, whatever, and you might, might love this phrase and, and be the star on the next dinner party and talk about Taoism, but it doesn't change a thing in you. Huh? So, and that's, that's where it becomes crucial. Huh? You have to bring it to life, bring the concept in, into reality. And this was not in the Tao Te King, and if it was, I, I overread it. Maybe it was, there was something in, but I didn't <laughs> notice it at the time. Yeah. Well, I noticed on Amazon that there were many, many reviews that said this is the single most important book of many people's lives. Yeah, I would say. Maybe together with Hermann Hesse, as a data which is I, I mm -hmm. found on many, many uh, 10 best lists on your site, yes, would have yeah. been on mine, but I read it at a point where I was already a Zen monk, so it, uh, it was a very good read, of course, but did not inspire me to do something more. So, uh, but the Tao Te King, I mean, for its simplicity, and it's old, it's, it's old, uh, one more, 600 BC, I'm not so sure, but uh, it's old, it's still valid, it's the same truth, the same expression that works, at least in a, in a decent translation. And uh, that's why I think it's so important for many people. So what did you do after that then? Well, I, I figured I stumbled around and then I came about uh, across the next book that you would mention right now. <laughs> Which is The Gateless Barrier, Zen Comments on the Mumonkan? Mumonkan. Mumonkan. Mumon by Kai. Zenkai Shibayama. Yeah, something like this. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know this. I don't know Japanese, but this sounds really Japanese, so it must be right. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> no, so but, tell but us Zen, about this. Zen is not that, that different from Taoism. It said that Buddhism and Taoism blended into Zen. So they took, ah, is it true? Yes, one can say so. And uh, Zen, of course, has a practice, a decent practice. And uh, there are, you might say, mostly two lineages in Zen. One works with so-called koans, like these funny questions, like uh, what is the sound of one clap, uh, one hand clapping, uh, and rest of that, called the Rinzai uh, lineage, and then you have Soto, where it's mostly about just doing the practice, just doing the Zen. And the Mumon Khan is, is a selection of koans, the people used for their training. And it's used, the, these are used to get you beyond the mind. So it's a classic book, and uh, it's, a, it's a collection of, I don't know how many, I don't know, 50 or what, koans. But the, the, the beauty in this book are all the stories that come with explaining them. So the, 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 the 
context is explained, the master who, who spoke about that, the disciple who got the question maybe, how is it interpreted, and it's, it's really rich. And, uh, but you have to know that this is uh, an addition to the standard Zen practice. At that point I knew that already, eh? so I, I really liked it. I felt, wow, this is something that um, touches me, that I can relate to. I, I feel there is some kind of deep understanding on to guide, how to guide people into realization, enlightenment, opening up, whatever you call it. Uh, so I was intrigued by that and soon after I started uh, practicing then myself. Uh, that, that, was, that was the entry door for me, the portal, so to speak. And Muman Khan, Muman Khan actually means the gateless gate. So it's a, it's a, it's a portal into the gatelessness. <laughs> so how long after the first book did you find that? You know, did you find Zen? Um, couldn't be too long ago. Uh, maybe two years after, at most, at most. I had certain experiences in between. I, I did other stuff like experimenting with, with um, uh, how's it called, NLP, for instance, uh, where you go with affirmations and, and all this stuff and I experimented with this and, and never satisfied me truly. It worked always, like in, a, like in a setting where you have a test at university, you can program yourself, works perfect for one hour, and then it just falls apart unless you put all the energy into all your things that you imagine constantly. And I thought, no, that's, that's just crap, doesn't work like that. And then I had an, an inner experience that was deep with me. I, I asked myself, I, I was looking for a good affirmation you know, that you do in, in NLP and these other mind techniques. And I said, what do you want to be? And it, from deep down came the answer, nothing. There is nothing that you want to be. Boom. And then I remembered, ah, here, you have the Zen stuff, and this is now where you have to go. And that was the thing. And so I, I already read the Mumon Khan, I loved it, didn't get anything. It's just you feel a resonance, but you don't understand it, understand the word. You feel the stories, the, you feel the determination of the, the, the characters involved. But then, well, that's it. Huh? But at that point, I realized, well, you want to be nothing? Well, then this is where you have to go. And, and so I did. So that was what you were looking for, being nothing. Uh, I wanted to understand this. It, it came as a shock, of course. Yeah, I, I profoundly understood there is not a single characteristic that I wanted to embody. Nothing against embodying something, but nothing that I wished for. Meaning you have the utmost freedom to be whatever you want. Yeah? If you want to be a, a, a specific character and you go to that direction, well, then all the rest is more or less blocked because you are, I don't know, the superstar of music or whatever uh, someone wants to be. And I realized, no, no, it was just nothing. And I, I, it was free immediately. It was freeing. Problem is, these things are very short usually. I, I speak of moments of enlightenment, yeah? it's, it's opening up. But then you are drawn back into the uh, human conditionings and human consciousness and see it from the other side. And that, that was weird. Was it even real? And uh, well, you have to make it real. Chop wood, carry water. Isn't that a famous book? If, you know, life is still the same before enlightenment, after enlightenment. I've got a friend who says, absolutely insists that enlightenment is boring. Yeah, you know, so you get there and you can't stay there because there's nothing. Greetings to your friend. Go <laughs> on. 
truly to see this is sometimes this is something that is what can i say um very distracting because people fall in love with these phrases so ah there's this guy whoever that is i don't even want to know maybe it's Dalai Lama himself i don't care oh it's enlightenment so just don't go there figure out yourself get enlightened and then talk for yourself and not a single moment before and i tell you something if enlightenment is boring no staying here is difficult but enlightenment is not boring I wouldn't know. I don't think I found it yet. Yeah, you cannot find it, but you might have moments of enlightenment and you realize uh, what true reality is. And then and typically you are you're pulled back into your standard standard beingness and you find it difficult to stay. Doesn't mean it's boring. Maybe then it's boring, but it's not that enlightenment is boring, at least not for me. Enlightenment is absolute fulfillment, so how can it be boring? But staying in in a, in a society like this and look around and everywhere it's like really really i mean usa is, is <laughs> electing next week so, really <laughs> how is that possible but it is possible and, and you want to stay here really why would you want to stay so staying is difficult uh enlightenment uh is no there's not no attribute to it like not, not that boring at all no but Maybe it was a trick for, for education, I don't know. Sometimes mm. it's good to say things because people run after it and if you run after it, you're on the wrong track anyway. Yes. So yes. it might be a helpful tool, huh? but depends on the circumstances. Mm. Okay, so let's go on to the third book, uh, The Middle Length Discourses of the Buddha. Yeah. And I'm not even going to try and pronounce no, it's, the it's translation. Got the I said it's a Machimanikaya. It's a selection of the discourses of middle lengths. And um, this is when, when Zen, Zen is already evolved from there. Huh? It is melded with, with Chinese culture, with Taoism, and very, very specific uh, in, well, in go to the basis, which is Zazen, sitting, letting go, open up, be done with it. Uh, but of course, it all goes back to, to Buddha. It's a Buddhist school, it's nothing new. Mm -hmm. huh? And the Machima Nikaya, that's for scientists, for consciousness scientists. And I, I love it tremendously. For this, this guy, <laughs> Shakyamuni, ex explained consciousness in detail, in every aspect, and how to deal with it, how to decondition yourself, how to go beyond. So it's all there. It's all there, beautifully written. Uh, and this particular edition that I had, uh, gets rid of all the repetitions. So if you read an ancient uh, Buddhist sutra, you have tremendous number of repetitions, repetitions, repetitions. Uh, for this was, was, was all oral, yeah? they had to memorize it. So this, this edition cut all the repetitions out, so I had, you had the essence, wonderful analogies, uh, just beautiful, just beautiful. And everything, and it's, it's the core of all Buddhist teaching uh, you find there, and for all schools also other than Tibetan, they're special. So it's and very good. And when did you come across that book? Uh, I don't know. Must have been maybe a year after I, I started. I, I read the uh, the second one, the uh, Zen, Zen stuff. I have known that the, you see, everything that was later than last week is difficult for me. So it was somewhere in the linear line. <laughs> okay. Maybe maybe a year later, but. So the next book, 
Up From Eden, a transpersonal view of human evolution by Ken Wilber. Yes, and Ken Wilber is also uh, one of the great guys, I would say, uh, for he arrived really at, at distilling, 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 distilling. I don't know how much he read, how much he, he um, summarized in his head and, and to condense it. And I, I was very happy for, for having found his books before he, he spared me so much time. Because I'm really interested in everything and I, I read across everything and then you realize, hey, there's really much to read that you don't... <laughs> and, and he had all the condensations already. And uh, he was contemporary, which is always good to have uh, this written in a, in a modern language. And you felt it was not just uh, a mind, mind stumbling, but he had a true practice behind it. He spoke also from, from, from experience. So I loved his books. In the early age, yeah, I, I felt in the early age, like many who start uh, in the, the spiritual traditions coming from the West, and they want to somehow combine, well, science and, and spirituality and bring it together and harmonize everything and so forth. These days, I would say, forget about that. But uh, at that point, it was really interesting for me. Very, very good to read. And he went beyond. Uh, I think he, he was very good in finding the point where the mind does not bring you any further. And this is one of the diffi most difficult things to understand, specifically for those who are a bit bright. Eh? They're so, so, so proud of, of being smart or whatever, and they want to figure everything out. But if you're really bright, you realize, well, your mind brings you so far, and then be done with it. And the rest, well, is experience, and metaphors and trying to, to express it somehow, but it's not precise. It's not a science anymore. And realizing this is difficult, and I would say he did, and he expressed this beautifully in his, in his books. So number five is an Ascension Handbook, material channeled from Serapis by Tony Stubbs. And as you and I were just exchanging before we started, Tony Stubbs, a very interesting man. I met him in Las Vegas. He was part of the group that attended the virtual light broadcast with Steve Rother. Mm. And I'd heard that Tony had produced this book that mm -hmm. apparently people had raved about. It was a massive success. Mm. I'd never come across it before. Mm. How did you come across this book? Well, in my uh, endeavors to, to read whatever comes into my hand, because I was just interested. And... Um, well, I'm lazy. I do not want to start at scratch if I know their work has been done. So I always try to see, well, what have others done so far and then progress from there, go beyond or, or then go different route for a reason. So I, I started reading all this esoteric stuff. And this is where we also spoke before uh, with the gems, gems that you sometimes find in the, in the pile of BS. Uh, and with the esoteric books, uh, there's tremendous BS out there mostly copying from each other, rephrasing and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, all, most of this goes back to the uh, Theosophs and uh, okay. But uh, so I came across that book. And again, it was, I wouldn't say it's scientific, but at least it was very clear. And it took the, the top-down approach. Like, uh, well, here we are, we start from, I don't know how we called it, uh, oneness or whatever and then see how everything came into existence from there, descending, descending into deeper uh, densities. And he had, had good metaphors, good ways of explaining, a clear language to the point, uh, very inspiring. 
I usually don't agree with everything, but I don't have to. I just have to f feel into what is this guy saying, how is he expressing it, uh, where do I feel is, th is the truth in it. And he was very good, and I would say he was the first book where I really opened up to, to channeled information. And I make, made the switch, well, to really not be interested in the messenger. Is it a human? Is it a, is it a channeled angel? Is it a collective? Is it a dragon? I don't care. Give me the message and I will see if, if it belongs to me or if it fits with me. And he was the first guy um, in, written, in the written form uh, where I said, okay, let, let's do that. Mm. I will, I, I'm interested, I don't care. I, I cannot validate anyway, no matter who says it. Not validate at least mm. in, a, in a scientific way. I can validate by experience, but, but not in, in any other way. And so I opened up to that and that was a good choice. Well, I mean, there are so many channeled books and some of them, as you said, just repeat each other, which one tends to think, well, if it's truth, then yes, you will come across it again and again. And others just contradict one another, yeah. um, which just confuses people. I'll have yeah. a look at that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, if you, if, you, if you take on the really broad perspective, then uh, at some point you come to the realization, well, everything is a story anyway. And everything is a story anyway. The question is, in what story do you want to believe? So, uh, well, if there's a majority of your surrounding believing in one version, then you tend to believe that version. Well, so be it. Uh, for instance, I, I had, I don't know how many versions of, of the life of Jesus Christ from channelers and good channelers, which I honor in their, their work, but they're completely contradictory. Mm. So are they wrong? or false or did this did this all happen that way depending on on which timeline you were on yeah? but again here here for me the point is uh, what is the impact on you what is the what, what thing can you learn from it of if it was real or not yeah? if it was when it was real it doesn't change anything because i'm still here and cannot verify so i even appreciate if there are five different stories contradicting even but each of them inspires me uh, for some some um, perspective so what is real, huh? In separation, yeah. nothing is real, and doesn't. But with the esoteric things, there's a difference. So you, sometimes you feel there is there is um, depth to it, and uh, something of of real uh, authenticity. And then it's just cut and paste, rephrase some words, mangle us up somehow, and have a next book and, and explaining the same thing, like how do I open my third eye or whatnot. Huh? One book should be enough. <laughs> There's no need for thousands of books of that. So book number six is Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Yeah, and this is a different genre. And uh, this is um, which I admire the most in a way. For um, conveying truth is most easy by means of stories. Yeah. And I would say uh, The Peaceful Warrior is a masterpiece in that respect. Uh, it's just... It's just wonderful, really, really wonderful. And uh, you can, you, that's a portal that you dive in and you want to be there. You want to be in this gas station with this guy and want to experience it yourself or you'd even do while you read. Uh, and well, he expresses, uh, expresses deep truths with a good story, uh, uh, even with some exercises which are, are valid always at, at certain, certain um, points in your evolution. There's one, this one phrase, um, German phrase is grundlos glücklich, happiness without reason, something like this. I love it. 
Uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful essence of, of something, one, one of those gems. And if you, if you come to it, are uh, just happy for no reason or fulfilled for no reason, hmm, this go goes deep because what does it mean in the end? Uh, you do not need any outer stimulus to have any feeling which is the easiest way to liberate yourself. And uh, well, he's one of those guys who put it in a good story, along with uh, Hermann Hesse, with the data, which is on everybody's list, I guess, and mm -hmm. would have been on mine if it were the 10 best and not the, the order in which they appeared in my life. Yeah, I, I love Dan Millman's work. I like books that make me stop and just go, well, that is so, so, makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you yeah. can't argue with the wisdom and the truths. No, you because can't. Because that's it. And even worse um, is this other book, The Life Purpose, the life you were born to live or somewhere where you just uh, add your, your birth date, birth yes. numbers and get some magic number. I remember I was really in love with the work of, of um, Millman. Yeah? I was standing at an airport, had, had time to pass, found that book. I said, oh, no. Oh no, how deep can you fall writing something like this? Huh? Coming from there, the peaceful warrior, and now you do this numerology thing. So, so I counted my numbers and said, okay, I'm this and that. I started reading and said, oh, 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 that's, that's creepy. Huh? I continued reading and it was an absolute, I found precise description of myself. And I said, wait a minute, what if I was born the day earlier or later? So I recalculated took the other explanation and they didn't fit at all. And this is one of those things that you don't need to understand. You, you see it, you say, this is just stupid, but it works. And, and since then I have the habit uh, to always calculate the life number. I, I cannot resist. I even, I don't know the, the, uh, the energies behind it. I have to look it up if I truly want, but I always sum them up. <laughs> so that's also <laughs> a Millman work. I had exactly the same reaction. I was shocked to see this this book standing out amongst all of his others. It seemed so different. And yeah. not that I had a problem with numerology because I'd studied it off and on for years, but it just, I couldn't see where it fit with this man. <laughs> but once I started reading it, I understood. And so having had me, conversations with him, I understand. Tell me your life number. Oh God, um, I think it's a five. It's I a think. five? Mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. yeah, I and can't before, remember because I, I don't retain. Yeah, okay. I don't retain the information. Yeah. No, it, it it happens that I, I calculated my number, and it's interesting. My wife, the closest friend of my wife, had this life number. Also in my life, uh, came up with the same number that I have. And then I wrote a small program calculating all life numbers of people in my, my generation. If there is maybe my life number a big peak. No, it wasn't. It's like, I don't know, 5% of all numbers have this specific number. Yet, like 50% like of the most important people in my life also had this number. And I, okay, better put that book away. I don't want to be a living number and just acting out what some dice said <laughs> early on. <laughs> It does make you wonder, doesn't it? Uh, Whether it's, it's, it's weird. all ordained, yeah. yeah. Okay, so number seven, another interesting one. Glimpses of a golden childhood, the rebellious childhood of yeah, a great that's, that's, enlightened that's Osho, that's, one. Osho. Uh, that's a special one. Yeah. Uh, what can I say? I have, I would say, a hundred books of Osho. And everything was, every, each single book was worth reading it. And there's not a single bad one. So I only took this as a place for the fall, the rest for it explains or it 
well, it didn't write it, and as always, it's just the collection of what his disciples said, what he has told about his childhood. It's so interesting how he grew up, the, the, the tricks he played to his teachers and parents and in university and everywhere. And then when you consider when he, he was kicked out of the US, he was in his, in his plane, he, he wasn't allowed to land, I don't know, in 60, 60 countries. They all kicked him out for speaking about wisdom and enlightenment. Imagine that, like he was a terrorist. Mm. I think this is a really achievement. Eh? So if I, if I back then when I had this, this question in me, what do you want to be? Eh? I said, yeah, get this guy who's not allowed to land in 60 countries <laughs> for speaking about wisdom. Yeah, so, so Osho was, was really impactful um, because he was funny, he was deep, he commented on everything was contradicting him over and over again, yet while you read it, it didn't matter. Uh, for Depending on from what perspective you view, you have to contradict the other perspective. Huh? And there was a time in my life, a couple of years, where he was the only guy I felt who understood me, I could talk to. I was already in Zen and everywhere else, but it's hard to find a good companion on the way to talk to. And I felt, well, he even I didn't speak to him, I felt, well, he was resonating. Unfortunately, I never met him, <laughs> unless, unless, no, there was one occasion that was truly surreal. Uh, it was m in 2004 or five, something like this. He was already dead, yeah? And I was driving in my car on a highway, and then suddenly, German highway, pretty fast usually, uh, on the right there was a, a parking spot where people can relax and, 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 and uh, get out of the car, and there was this Rolls Royce standing, and this short man with a long beard in a, in a blue robe and grinning with his cheeks and waving at me. And I, I was looking at him, what, what is Oxford doing there? Huh? I wanted to break and turn around on the highway, but it just didn't work. And this was one of the few occasions I had where the story really was, was blended into, into physical reality. Huh? Most often it's somewhere out there and you know that, but once in a while it's really here. And that was a, a meeting I will never forget. Uh, so he was waving me and I was looking at him and I, I couldn't go back. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I like that. Mm. So mm. in a way I met him. So now we come to book number nine and I think this is where we've lured everybody in with Talk of Dragons. Mm. Uh, because this is Althar the Crystal Dragon by you. And it's on your list because it was a major turning point for you. It so was, yeah. tell us the story. How did this come to you? Yeah, this is a long story, huh? but uh, to make it short, I had experience, like I just told, with Osho, uh, oftentimes in other realms, huh? in, in daily life, but like, like you open up to a different uh, perspective and then you, you sense something very close. And it started with dragons, maybe in, in 2013, where it's some odd encounters with dragons or with energies that I perceived as dragons. I'm always very, very precise in this, this wording. And uh, as usual, when I have some encounter like this, I do not, I enjoy it, but then I let it go. Or I say, I put it in, in quarantine, which is kind of popular right now. Eh? I put it in, in, in quarantine and see if it survives, meaning will it come back or not? And, and the dragons came back and we're in a series of, of really deep, deep encounters. Uh, one very interesting, before Altar came in, I was, was jogging, which I really do not like at all. 
and then suddenly I saw th this dragon flying next to me and uh, very close and I was oops here they are again and this huge eye looking at me I uh, looking into that eye and then I went through that eye and and we were flying around and had really good experiences well I was still trying to walk and I hoped I could fly also but but it <laughs> didn't work and that was a, a kind of a what say a turning point maybe or preparation and then maybe two years later um, the dragon I now call Altar came in and it was equally weird I was looking out a window with a with a huge whister and I saw a whole swarm of dragons like like um, projected into physical reality I said oh that is that is weird huh? and one of them came close very fast and and was all around me suddenly and all within me and and I was I was stunned I was shocked it was a uh, I was on on maximum energy high energy and I said wow what what is this now and this was precisely when I noticed oh this is the dragon energy it is right here and this is kind of an entity ah, that is now with me and uh, this appearance was all around me I could even I could see it I could see the shape uh, of the dragon all around me for two weeks uh, and then it slowly faded or I got, got used to it I'm not sure but that was um, well that was the the event when uh, Altar came in and uh, a few months later I was on a small island actually the picture you see behind me is um, from that island uh, a, a picture from the desk where I sat when I wrote the first Altar book and a couple of others so I was more or less I was sitting there <laughs> and, and Altar came in and we started uh, we started uh, the first book no actually we had the first messages before I went there but when I was there then it really began with with the first book and continued since then but I, I say Altar is a is a facet or an aspect of my true self and I perceive him as I say him could be a she also I, I call him a him uh, as a dragon but I insist of not getting stuck in the dragon uh, metaphor for it's it's a, just a symbol it's a symbol that that maybe the humans r r relate to archetypically yeah um, so I see him as a dragon and when I started writing the book I even considered cutting out all the dragon notions and I said well the dragon has no real impact here it doesn't make a difference if a dragon is talking or somebody else is talking and I feared it would distract too much from from the message that came through only because it was so weird for me when he came to me I said well if others have the same experience uh, then it might be helpful so I decided okay I leave it in and and I take the risk of first being the weird guy uh, with, with this dragon henceforth <laughs> like a business world everywhere else uh, and also taking the risk of distracting the one or the other but uh, well so that is why the dragon is still on on the title and is still still there but Altar is, is very real with me and uh, he's still here and a crystal dragon yeah he's a crystal dragon that's how he calls himself yeah that's how he calls himself. So what kind of information came through while you were writing those books? What was the thing that surprised you the most? There were many surprising things. Uh, some First, some, some phrases. For instance, uh, I'm a bridge in consciousness. He said, I'm Altar, I'm a bridge in consciousness. I said, 
what is lat? Huh? But, but I left it in. It became clearer much later. I left it in. Um, then in the first book, there were two um, main topics, or there are many main topics, but one stood out. It was uh, let go of your emotional body. You don't need it anymore. And this was something that was was surely not coming from me. I would have never written that. So it was really inspired by, by this energy. Let go of your emotional body. For the emotional body is the carrier of all your false identities. And every identity is false, specifically those that you as a human make up as all of your personas. Huh? Those, those false identities are, are, are the reason why you have all kinds of, of emotions, of, of, of uh, needs and, and griefs and anxiety. And let go of this. And uh, he talked about how to do that, but but really letting go of the emotional of the emotional barrier, I found found strong, strong um, tobacco, as we say in Germany. <laughs> I don't know it's a uh, phrase also elsewhere. That was strong for me. And then another, he made kind of a prediction, saying, "Well, the dragons are coming back, and not just a few, but many, many are coming back right now. So this book can be of help." for those who are receptive for this kind of wording and for this kind of understanding. But uh, all of the content uh, in the Altar series is actually about uh, enlightenment uh, and how to get there. And, uh, and that's the most important thing. It's very easy to describe enlightenment. It's your natural state beyond any beliefs. End of discussion. Question is, how did you get there? How do you undo all the piles and piles and piles of belief? And that's where it gets tricky. And that's where all the pitfalls come in. That's where all the human mind games come in that block you over and over again because then you want to be the spiritual hero. You want to have enlightenment as an object, like you have, I don't know, a black, black belt in, in karate. All the human comes always in between. And, and he's there to really cut through it, cut through it once again, once again, once again, to the bone and leave nothing behind. Because only then, if you are <laughs> if you're truly free of, of beliefs, then you know that you are free. Everything else is, is makes, imprisons you. And you have to not only understand it, you have to, to realize it. And, and maybe one of the, the, main, the main important um, things he focuses on is the moments of enlightenment versus the illusion of attaining um, permanent enlightenment. You see, there's, there's a fallacy that most people think like, ah, at some point when I do this or that, or I wait enough or pray enough, then there's this switch that is flipped and boom, I'm enlightened. And I move on as an enlightened being. Sorry, doesn't work that way. Uh, maybe at some point there is something like permanent enlightenment, but until then it's in and out, in and out. And and the bad news is, well, you are much more out than in. Uh, you have a moment of enlightenment, which is, I say, beyond time. And at at that point, in no time, there are no questions, therefore no wrong, no wrong answers, no nothing. It's all this fine. The moment you are, you get back. Well, you are in linear time with all the linear things you have to do with the linear body and, uh, and and you remember as a memory your moment of enlightenment uh, and you say oh, it's boring no it's not but you are you have forgotten about it uh, and and you want to have it back as a replay and this doesn't work also so question is how how do you arrive there at switching to this perspective on a regular basis for every moment you are beyond uh, all your beliefs 
uh, how to say, you clear up your, your pile. Uh, you make it real for yourself. You, suddenly you know this is just more than just talk and, and uh, wishful thinking. No, it's real. It, you have experienced it. And then the challenge is, yeah, what do you do with it? How can you live with it? How can you embrace it? How can you, well, make it your normal state of being, which is permanent enlightenment, which is very, very difficult. <coughs> and, and that's why then he switches to the term uh, embodied ascension. For, um, you might say there are two, two main dreams of those on the spiritual path. One, one main topic is, of course, becoming enlightened, uh, but most people who re really arrive there say, well, why would I be so stupid and going back? Uh, they, they leave quickly. That's one of the reasons why you so, see so few enlightened peoples around, you know? at least in a permanent state of enlightenment. And then the second dream that is, I would what say, is more, more even crazy or ambitious or paradoxical is the wish to stay, even though you realize this is all the dream. So this is a paradox, of course. So you, you want to wake up, but you want to stay in the dream. Huh? How does that work? doesn't really work. Uh, you have to, f I wouldn't say fool yourself, but you have to be very uh, precise in what you do. Otherwise, you just switch to the other side and be, be done with this for not coming back. Huh? And this is called embodied ascension, staying here even though you know it's a dream. Uh, and this is uh, the second main focus of the book. Because if you want to go there, if you open up more and more, if you have more and more of this, this greater vision, it becomes increasingly weird to, to act as a, as a human, linear human. And that's where there's the, the follow-up series, the Alta Surreal series, dealing with exactly this. It's surreal. It's a when one achieves enlightenment, one leaves because there's no reason to stay. Why do we come here in the first place? Why do we need to come here? I mean, surely when we're not here, we're in a state of enlightenment. Yeah, it's a natural state. So, and this so is why would we want to leave that? Maybe there was no we before it started. But this is one of those things where you can have 20, 100 stories. And all of them, you cannot prove any of them. But some of them might resonate with them. And uh, personally, I always go with, with, with a version that is open to, to ex expansion. And that fits best with my experience without putting anything weird or belief stuff uh, on me. So if you want my best explanation that I get from within and, and from my experience is, well, I, my, my main thing is pure consciousness, okay? And there is the potential that pure consciousness thinks of separation, okay? And mm -hmm. so it did. And then it realized, oh, no, it doesn't work. It's like your finger thinking of being separate from, from your body. And finger notices, ah, no, stupid thought, <laughs> doesn't work. <laughs> it's just pure consciousness and whatever might be in there. Huh? But in the moment it occurred, until you realize, no, that's just nonsense, suddenly you have all the worlds of separation. And Altai explains it, I would say, beautifully. All potential experiences are there immediately. He calls it an ocean of oceans of scene spheres where a single scene sphere is a given moment that you experience with all your perceptions and feelings and everything. And it's huge, it's vast. It's just there 
and you dive in and once you are once you're in once you made that that pondering of separation I, I wouldn't say it was you but it was something that pondered it boom you had everything and with the with the multiplicity with the uh, consciousness being in separation then things unfold uh, and like they do huh? and then you, you go deeper 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 and now you can have again nice stories and I like good stories that um, that fit with my experience and are also motivating and if they are wrong it doesn't matter because in the end you let them go anyway so my story goes like this when you started out uh, then more or less a nothingness but with the illusion of being in separation but you don't know who you are so Antar comes along and says well consciousness has two main characteristics it can be aware of itself and it can have intents and that's it with some some uh, addition the intent is mirrored by uh, so-called pure energy which is also consciousness so we have an intent which is mirrored to you so you don't know who you are for whatever reason there's some intent within you that is mirrored to you okay and then you think oh that's me oh that's me and then it goes on and you stabilize the reflection because then you know at least oh maybe I'm this looks better than nothingness okay even and this is you might say even on the highest uh, on the highest level of, of consciousness and then it goes deeper and deeper because you can and you can put intents above intents above intents above intents and uh, in the human in a way is on the on the lower spectrum of consciousness it's in the deepest density uh, you believe to be a human body imagine that I mean imagine that everybody believes he is a, he's a body has to feed yourself and the body is perfect example for, for mirroring yourself all the time eh? you see your image right now oh, therefore that's me you see your own hand you feed yourself if you don't your body falls apart you might not your body might die but you not but you never know because you keep feeding yourself you're mirroring yourself all the time and so it's a trap it's a mirror cabinet and once you're in you continue playing you continue playing and also um, let's say there's the remembrance of call it pure pure consciousness which is an absolute fulfilling and you want to replicate it in separation yeah, see you want want the feeling of love of of constant love nobody's interested in the temporary love you want to be at constant uh, and this was the major insight of buddha he realized and it's not that bright anyway huh? nothing here is is constant so why hang on to it question mark uh, no reason so you try to replicate and you never give up first love fails well try a second one haha <laughs> and guess what fails also sooner or later or you switch your notion of love so you're still in separation you go to the very end now you, we are here in the deepest density s speaking about this because more way more or less there is no hope you cannot go deeper question is how do you get out and actually you don't get out by going backwards but by coming out the other end of the tunnel yeah, you don't add more layers and mirrors and more more practices and dogmas around what you believe you are no you realize oh you can let that go in that instant you are beyond you have moment of enlightenment all these questions are irrelevant then you have to say p body calls you back uh, wished i could have been there longer eh? mm. okay and you walk as soon as you walk then at the latest you are pulled back into your human body and the game uh, continues so there is no no reason 
that you are here, but there's a potential in pure consciousness to ponder separation. And because of that, it had to be pondered. I mean, think otherwise, there, there's God consciousness, but God is afraid of pondering separation? Doesn't make any sense, eh? but what God is that? So he has to ponder and throw away because it's stupid. But as he did, sorry, now we are here and discussing this and uh, we cannot prove it, but I like this story because it goes without guilt and without uh, all, all what the religions say. I think it's a fair description, uh, a valid description for me. Well, you got stuck on flypaper and it's difficult to, to pull yourself out. Other, other then you know the trick. And, and the trick alone doesn't even suffice because you are so deep, or you're in quicksand, you are so deep that it takes a while <laughs> until you really realize, well, there is no quicksand in the first place. <laughs> Yeah, and that's why we are here. There's no reason for it. It's it's just the case and it doesn't matter. Question is how to get out. That, so therefore you can have millions of stories and choose one. But the only question is how to get out. How to get out is the only question and, and uh, the answer is, is, is obvious. Let go. Let go and be out. And then come up with a better story how you came here. But right now it's about going out, getting out again. And this is what the entire series of books, the Altar series, was basically all about. Absolutely. It, tr it tries to... Showing to get us the way out. Yeah, it tries to get the human where he is, like, like caught up in his emotional body and a dream of enlightenment and, and problems that come with, with opening up and going back. But then the, the main approach is to, how to say, the... Hmm, find good explanations how the dream works, the dream mechanics, so that you can let them go. Simple reason is that most humans in the Western world, they are kind of intrigued by cause and effect. They want to have an explanation. For then it's easier, if you understand it, it's easier to let it go. You see, if your mind understands, well, I, this, this makes sense to me and going deeper doesn't make any sense, then I can let it go. Otherwise, you're just in the dark and, and you wonder and, and your mind is churning about all explanations. But for me, if I find a reasonable explanation that describes what I experience, that shows the way out, I'm perfectly fine. And if somebody comes along with, with better explanations or better metaphors, perfect. I'm so in. So, how many books are there in the series? Five? There are five in what I call the core series. There's the next series called Alta Surreal, which is one book. Uh, and then there are two books called Alta Intense, which are transcripts of, of live workshops I did. So there are the books and the audios for, for um, the Alta Intense uh, series. Okay, so why, why do we need so many books? It's is it many. because we're just not getting it? No, because the books are so small. They're small. Yeah, not, yeah, not that size. Uh, they are they are comparatively small, and they are very dense. And uh, I wouldn't say it's many. And and the good thing is that's it. The core series is core. You don't need don't need anything more. You don't. You just don't. The rest is well, getting it from a different perspective for better understanding. You see. And, and repeating things is, is often uh, important, but it's not that they are 
um, I don't know, two dozen more details, hints, revelations, so that you can become finally the perfect being, all in oneness. No, it's, it's all there. Do it uh, or leave it or go on searching for something else. Uh, you're fine, but uh, I would say no, it's, 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 it's complete in itself. Everything is in that it should suffice. If it doesn't, well, okay then. <laughs> it doesn't. So, so you thought you'd come to the end of it after the fifth one. So why more? Yes, it's specifically about the in-between phase, where you are more and more in the enlightenment area, and attempt to stay without getting crazy, uh, and without just puffing to the other side. And this is very special. It is really not for everyone. Uh, and, and the first paragraph is more or less, don't read this. It's not important, go for the others. And then if, you, if you're still interested, yeah, have a look at this. That's the only reason. Huh? It, is, it is very hard to stay here. Um, as one learns more, as one um, wakes up to more, it becomes harder and harder to be here and see the craziness. Yeah, but there's the other side to it also. Uh, and it's good that, that uh, you, you, you others talk about this also. Huh? You see the craziness and ask yourself, well, how crazy is that? How can I stay here? But as you see, it's a dream anyway. Uh, you're getting less attached. Yeah, still it's annoying. Uh, if I have a neighbor and the child cries all day, uh, it's not really fun. Yeah? And okay, yeah? <laughs> still annoying. But uh, on the other side, is things get easier also. So, so this bad dream becomes a happy dream in a way. It's easier to enjoy. You see, uh, you, you don't have fear of anything, at least not that you need to have. You might still have, but you don't need to have. And you know that, so things become easier. Uh, so it's, it's getting much easier. You can enjoy it more easily. At the same time, if you're sensitive and you see other people and you see their, their suffering, their depression, then uh, this is what hurts most. Others bothering you is okay. Like now in COVID times, it's not really fun to be out there uh, going shopping or so. Eh? Well, I can stay at home. I have no, no real problem. But seeing how others suffer and they are continuing banging their head against the wall, hoping to, to end their suffering by doing this, this is difficult. And at the same time, uh, you know that you've been the same for long years or long lifetimes. And that's the reason why people choose to stay. For it's uh, of tremendous help if there are some that can talk about this even having a body not just through a book a book is good enough but somebody who is alive and and talks this language can be helpful and i had many uh, living teachers and don't need to be enlightened that's not the point but there are those who are dedicated to, to go this way and uh, if without those and without some books i would have been lost so my choice is definitely to, to embody the highest consciousness possible. And this is actually what a, what a Buddhist monk vows, eh? become a living Buddha. That's what you want to do. And no matter how you, how you phrase it, and I'm still in. Uh, this, is, this is my reason why I stay. I'm sure that there are many people who have um, lots of questions about dragons. Before we started recording, you talked about the bullshit, the BS that is around dragons and the mythology. I mean, dragons now, every fantasy book has a dragon in it, um, if it's any good. We have so many misconceptions and beliefs around dragons. How did you feel when it was obvious to you that this 
energy that was with you was a dragon. It was just a knowingness. I did not search for the right term to denote this, this perception. It was just a knowingness. And I have never been in, in dragon stuff before. Never, ever. Never interested me. I had nothing against dragon and I had nothing against unicorns. Well, I, I would favor dragons maybe. But uh, I was never in the, in the dragon um, I don't know world. Huh? This is always what makes me curious that when you when you are thinking about something, and that then something like this tutorial happens, but it's along the lines that you are thinking anyway. Then I'm very cautious. But if there's something where you do not think about at all in the moment or in the last years, then that's that's much more validity to me. And and uh, with Altar, it was a knowingness even before the dragons. There was no question. It appeared to me in my inner sight as a dragon, and I'm always, I'm the first one to contend that um, there is no one-to-one -one correspondence from, say, a felt presence to a symbol. It can be arbitrary, but I assume a dragon is kind of embedded in the human consciousness for whatever reason, mm. uh, and I do not care too much even, and, and I could change it. Right now, I do not think, uh, I do not feel uh, altar in, in dragon shape at all. It's just the, the energy of him and, and the qualities of him, which is utmost clarity, which is compassion, which is presence, which is not compromising, not at all compromising, and a bit of humor. <laughs> uh, and that's good. And I don't need any, any wings or two or four legs or a big tail. No, it doesn't, doesn't, it's not important. I did a boo-boo. I skipped number eight i went straight to number nine i was so keen to get to the dragons but we oh. have to go back to number eight which is active consciousness to yes. be or not to be enlightened adama saint germain jeffrey hoppy and jeff and linda or jeff was on here just a few weeks ago uh, talking about his 10 best and i also recently interviewed him about active consciousness so tell us when you came across jeff's work and what it was about active consciousness that appealed to you so much, because I actually think it's one of my favorite of his books. Mm. I came across um, St. Germain, actually, uh, on the 1st January 2005. And I know that because it was the 1st January, <laughs> it's easy to remember. And uh, I, I was sitting by myself and thinking about the next year and my life in general and whatnot, what you want to do and all the rest of that good day first first january then i went to to uh, my pc and wanted to google something search for whatever i landed on the most ugly page i've ever seen with bumping hearts and stars and i i awful really awful but at the end there was a small sentence saying i feel connected to chambra i have what is that so i clicked on that thing and ended up on the Crimson Circle webpage, and uh, 2005, they had yeah they had already all the all the uh, channel links, the monthly channel links online. I had always I think, and I started reading uh, the first channel of Tobias, and on the first page there were one trigger word that was extremely important to me, which was a uh, fluid light or liquid light. Uh, that was a trigger word for me, so I kept reading, I kept reading, I kept reading, and uh, immediately I felt home. This was, uh, again, a way of talking about uh, the story of everything, uh, or a way of talking uh, uh, about everything, uh, uh, how we, we got there. You m must not comply with this the version he gave, but it was touching, it was, was deeply resonant. 
uh, and uh, the first three series, well, they, they span the whole teaching that they give from from the beginning and how to get out. Uh, and I just loved them. And at some at some point, I said, well, I have to check that out. It was still when. Uh, yeah, I, I have accepted channeling, but I wasn't really sure if, if this is, what is this made up or uh, is, how real is that? And so I wanted to check them out and uh, it happened that uh, Jeff and Linda were, were in Germany uh, in that year, end of the year. So I went there and, and met them and had a long exchange with uh, Jeff at that time and we had a deep connection immediately. And starting from there, we made a lot of things together. <laughs> let's let's put it that way. A lot of uh, influences back and forth. And uh, yes, Adamus Saint Germain uh, here to mention. Well, he's highly interesting. Huh? He's uh, in mm -hmm. the in the way uh, Jeff channels him. Uh, in the in the early years, there were a couple of of, of classic workshops, uh, and that was really get me in beyond the initial teachings of Tobias was the Dreamwalker Death workshop where um, Saint Germain or Adamus uh, explained in detail what happens when you die and how can you how can you guide a dying person after he died see mine before okay but after the, 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 the spirit that left the, the human flesh what can you do how can you be of help for that how can you prepare that and that that really got me in for uh, you felt well there was somebody who knew he was spe speaking about uh, and for me it was also clear well it was surely not Jeff who made up a nice story because when you know him personally you know what is what is Jeff talk and what is this talk hi Jeff nothing against you but you just know and he knows yeah. that, that we know eh? and it was fascinating it was fascinating and so I, I, I went along with them no? I, I just liked the work they did and well they talk about uh, enlightenment in these modern days. I'm, there are various parts that I'm, I'm strictly not in line with Adamus, but this is more the, how to say, the way to get there. And this is up to, to evaluation in 100 years from now, what is the best way, and nobody knows before. <laughs> but uh, as far as the story goes, uh, it, it's pretty much aligned, and uh, I like it very much. So, Act so. of Consciousness, the book is, is a collection of channels. I think it was not written to write a book. No, it's a collection of channelings yes. put together yes. in order and pointing out that what you're doing is actually an act. And depending how free you are in yourself, you can choose the beliefs or the, the characters that you want to act out and go with it. Sounds nice. Everybody nods his head, but then fails miserably in doing so. The question remains, how to get rid of all these crappy beliefs. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those books, again, that has just so much truth, you know, yeah. uh, so practical, yeah. so down-to-earth, inarguable, yeah. inarguable. Yeah, and, and without cliches, without dogma, with humour, yeah. uh, hands-on, uh, yeah. yeah, making it accessible. Still, my, my perception is, hey, it doesn't mean just to read it and think about it. Like with the Tao book, uh, there's something you can do and you should do that is uh, in the human realm. And if you don't do that, I don't see how it works out. But as I said, we see in a few hundred years when we do the calculations, uh, those took that route, those took that route, they had 200 extra lives and they made it. <laughs> but it's not a rush or not a race anyway. So we come to book number 10, which is yes. The Disappearance of the Universe by Gary Reynard. 
I uh, there's an interesting story behind that. Really, this book had to force itself on me. And it's it's so weird. When you go to Amazon, you have a book or any book, then you always have this what customer customers who bought this book also yeah. bought that book. I love yeah. that section because then you get come across books that you would have never found before. Eh? And this book appeared oftentimes and I at least for two years I would say I saw it. Uh, I looked at it, had the first three sentences, I said, ah, no, not yet, not yet. Then at one point I met a guy here in where I live, a good friend of mine, meanwhile, uh, and I talked to him about Altar and he's a movie maker. And he said, ah, oh, I want to make a movie about your Altar books and blah, blah, blah. And we started talking. I thought, well, let's see, why not? Hmm, not sure if it works. And I checked out what he has done, my, my friend. And I came about a movie he made with Gary Raynard. Uh, who wrote that book but I only was looking at, at the movie technique and the question technique I did not listen to that guy <laughs> and then again I don't know half a year later for some reason I, I started reading it I was drawn into it uh, and I continued reading it and after I don't know 50 pages or so I realized hey this is more or less an introduction to A Course in Miracles it wasn't um, marketing like that. It, it wasn't written somewhere, or I overread it. But I, I, I think it wasn't mentioned anywhere in the in the description and in the first pages. And I was pissed because I had the the Course in Miracles in my hand years and years ago. I read it, or I, I felt into it, and my my reaction was, "Hey, this is really good." But the language, I, I cannot stand the language, the Father, Son, Sin, Guilt, Atonement thing. And uh, maybe later, so, so I, I put it back and there was that voice. Yeah, maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I, I was close to put that book away because I, I felt cheated. But I continued reading and I liked it so much, I have to say. And the, the, all the descriptions, all the, the, uh, the wordings he, he took from, from The Course of Miracles. And then of course I got The Course of Miracles and, 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 and started reading it here and there. And the one outstanding thing was the the feeling I got when I when I had it in my hands. It was well, it was an ebook, but still it felt the same. It had the same shivers as with Altar, precisely the same. I say, hey, what's going on here? It's it's more or less the same or what? And then there was somewhere in the beginning also the phrase bridging consciousness. I said, uh huh, let's see. Yeah. And as I read through the book, I said, well, this is really good. So much good stuff. But hey, you can condense it. Put it succinctly it's, it's a bit too much uh, and and again that voice from behind yeah see that's what you have done in a way it's a different phrasing uh, different language not you not need to be a christian uh, but what the, what the course does of course is redefine all those those words like like sin is believing in in uh, in separation or so atonement is uh, becoming uh, realizing the moment that it's just a dream so you have to convert all the time while you read. If you just skim through it, you don't notice this. And it's a bit weird what this book is all about. But it's written to get, I would say, the stuck Christians so they can have the language that they are used to, reinterpret it, mm. and go beyond. And uh, But apart from that, if you are, have the habit of translating all these words, I think it's really beautiful. The whole course is it's wonderful, just wonderful. And he brought me to it, and his books are also wonderful because uh, he has a, a, a true life story, how he lives it, how he experiences it, uh, how he explains it in a dialogue form with some entities that might be real or not. Again, I don't care if they are real. 
story is good, I go with it. Okay. I, I would say this was the last book that um, was kind of confirmation. That's always nice, and eh? to to find some confirmation from the source that you you really trust, you f you feel trust uh, when you read that. At least I do. There's okay. truth to it, and uh, I like that very much. Out of these ten books, if you were asked to give one to somebody starting out on a spiritual path, which one would you recommend? Starting out, fresh guy. Mm. Mm, out of those ten books. No, there's no answer to that. It depends on the guy. You have to see the guy. Is it more a feeling guy? Is it more a science, a mental guy? Is he into drama? Is he into, uh, I don't know, is he already, does he come from somewhere? So there is no real answer to that. Truly not. Um, I have no answer. I can't. That's a good answer. It's a good answer. <laughs> Thank you. It's a very no, good that's answer. That's the point. There, there is no that one book. If there was that one book with a problem, then it was the Bible or the 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 Quran and burn everything else everything is written here yeah maybe for one person but the others need a different book different phrasing mm. so if I if I would say the one advice for everybody on uh, on starting out sit sit straight shut up do nothing for really one hour see if you survive that and you will <laughs> and then consider what you want to do don't go for mental and this is the direct way the letting go and you can experience it it works immediately there's a tremendous impact that's why I say there's no I'm not sure if there's any single good book about Zen yeah there are millions of books and everybody's saying the same and you might get the feeling but then you have to do it like the practice yeah ideally with some more people so we have better uh, stability in your your awareness. Once you do that, once you feel the, 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 the magic of letting go, you have a f completely different understanding, a completely different understanding. And um, yeah, that would be my advice. Don't really do that. And then continue doing that and don't read. <laughs> <laughs> if you can do yeah. that, don't even read the altar books. <laughs> you did say that you wished uh, that you'd had the Altar books 30 years ago. <laughs> yes, definitely. Because yeah. I am who I am. Huh? And um, I wanted to under have a, a, an understanding, a model, not a detailed thing, but a, a nice understanding of how things work. And I had so many books where I felt, wow, they're going in the right direction, like, like Jane Roberts with the, the test material. Always when it touches where it becomes interesting, oh, they change topic. I said, I was going there, it was interesting. Why do you have another question, stupid guy? And then they're meandering around and you can find the puzzle pieces. But never did I find something that is succinct, which is, well, go yeah. to the end. Maybe there's, there's other, these books exist, but I didn't find them if they do exist. <laughs> so I say to myself, when I, I finished this, I said, wow, I wish I had this before that because it's about letting go anyway. But it's so much easier if you know why you let go. Small example, if you, if you start, say, with, with, with Zen practice and you, and you sit on your cushion and, and you get more sensitive, weird things happen to you. Weird things happen to you. Suddenly you have to bleed through from a lesser lifetime. Now, what do you do with that? If you are naive, you to try to find out, oh, I had another lifetime, oh, how exciting, who was that, why was that? I'm sure it was a pharaoh or a queen or a queen or a pope or... How do you deal with that? 
and it's not the number one thing that you are taught when you go in such a such a such a school they say well well this is makyo eh? whatever happens to you during uh, meditation be it voices or images that's called makyo let it go and that's a real answer but i find it's much easier to have an understanding of why that happens and why you can let it go even if it bothers you all the time because otherwise you might think it's still your mother that is the fault for everything in your life when mm. in fact it was i don't know a lifetime 200 years ago that was drowned and therefore you're afraid of water it was not your mother it was this guy so <laughs> you see suddenly you can let that go but you have to have the understanding of it because only yeah. letting go sometimes is difficult and as they say in zen or as i said you can sit on your shadow and some things just don't surface so you can be aware but something might just be hidden and then it's good to push it a little bit that's what the master is for if he's competent eh? push it a little bit to bring this up and that's what the dragon does he shows you where you are the things that you cannot put your fingers on but that they're still influencing your life in much more degree than you uh, wanted to have i do want to ask you uh, something we ask everybody, which is about Oops. your keywords. Your keywords were author, consciousness explorer, wisdom distiller, and taster. I love that. And I always like to ask for one more really personal one so that we get some insight into you, you know, the person. Tell us something, one word or a short phrase about yourself that perhaps only your wife and your friends know the human self. Gyate, gyate. <laughs> That's a small phrase. Uh, it means going beyond the beyond. That is the one key word that interests me. Going beyond, continue going beyond. And it's a phrase uh, actually from the from the Heart Sutra. Uh, it, it ends uh, going beyond, going in that context, going beyond the teachings of Buddha. And even when you are beyond, go beyond the the yes. idea of beyond. Just go beyond and stop all that talk even the Buddha talk and, and that's the beauty of it eh? of, 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 of Buddha it doesn't stick to his own teaching and I left that go beyond when you're done other than you want to teach it it might be helpful but for yourself be done with it gyate gyate well Joachim that was a fascinating conversation and a fascinating list thank you so much for that I know so little about Buddhism and Zen so it's quite an education for me Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me here today. And, and thank you, listeners. Always good to have somebody to listen. Not that yes. often that people are interested in this stuff. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us. Um, and uh, we will have this uh, video edited and posted by next week. So, yes. yeah, then anybody who obviously hasn't been able to join us today can catch up with it then and please tell people where they can go to find out more about you and the altar books well you go go to my website which is uh, wolfram.de w-o-l-f-f-r-a-m.de it's my last name should find it at least on the on Sandra's page there you find the list of all the books and they exist in many translations eight nine i don't know many translations and there are occasional workshops uh, in these days online so if you're interested just go there and uh, have a good meeting with with altar at some point in time
Okay, thank you. And thank you to all of you at home for joining us today. And if you're not already on the special face-to-face -face with uh, email list, you can join that and get last minute updates if we have for any reason, as happened recently to change the URL and the access code, which does happen from time to time, you'll know about it. Thanks for being with us. You can find that face-to-face sign-up form on the video page on the No BS Spiritual book website. Okay, I'll be back again next week with another edition of Face to Face. So have a great week and I'll see you then. Mm -hmm.